Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Besides the screen you spent most of your time staring at this week, chances are you are also captivated by a big screen video installation. From billboards to scoreboards, we inform and entertain audiences with our big screen solutions. Visit bigscreenvideo.com.au to see how BSV can bring your space to life. It's time to cast off on a new adventure. This is Real Adventures with Patrick Dangerfield and Aaron Habgood. For BF Goodrich, celebrating 150 years. Hello and welcome to Real Adventures for BF Goodrich to celebrate the 150th anniversary of BF Goodrich. Get up to $150 cash back. When you purchase four or more passenger or SUV tyres, good morning to you, Redmond. No footy this weekend, Redmond. Oh, I know. I'm, uh, I'm spewing because it's kept me sane over the last uh, period of time, I should say. I was going to say a couple of months, but it's longer than that now. But more importantly, <laughs> the Cattery are making their way to the finals. So we're going to have a little bit of a footy chat just before we get into the fishing pad. You must be excited to go again into the finals. No doubt. It was uh, it was an interesting game last Sunday. Important to get that win, obviously, to, to seal the top four. That gives you the best chance of, of winning it. But mind you, in a season like this with COVID and the, the different sort of um, issues that we've all faced, um, who knows? Who knows? You could win it from anywhere, I reckon. I, uh, I actually tried calling you just before halftime of your game last week because you were... Uh, thought you weren't playing uh, you're a bit quiet now half field, but then you come out you come out strong in the back half we'll give you that good couldn't get a kick <laughs> no but then you made up for it you are uh, you actually you actually look dangerous down forward uh, are you enjoying that forward roll kicking a few goals you actually kicked straight too which was a bit surprising as well didn't you? <laughs> good on you yes no i am it's um i had a one of my ex coaches mark bickley um who's uh pretty prominent in the Adelaide media. Uh, I remember him saying to me one game, I had a poor game, and um, and he said, it mightn't be a game, but it might be a moment. So just to keep yourself always locked in on, rather than thinking about end result or what the game's going to look like post-result, just worry about that next moment, the next opportunity that you get. And I think that really, you know, as a player, um, you learn that early on in your career, or some a little later, that you've just got to worry about the next moment rather than worrying about the end result or I'll just play next uh, next next week, you know. So I think that's high on the priority list when you're not getting a kick and you want to try and sort of impact the game. So that was good. And there's a few different sort of results. Collingwood obviously head over to Western Australia. They quarantine for a week before playing against West Coast. So that's a big ask of them. Uh we head to South Australia, and then obviously there'll be some games here in Queensland. What I want to ask you is, I know, I know you just harped on about it, on whoever's on their day, on the best on the day is probably going to win because it's so close, this whole top eight. Some teams have found form and 
just found the eight. Like, you've got the Western Bulldogs who are absolutely flying. And I hate to say it because my partner goes to Western Bulldogs and her family. They're the one team I didn't want to make the eight, but they're, they're up and going. <laughs> uh, you got, yeah, they, absolutely. You got, Collingwood looked all right. Um, uh, not too oh, wait, not Collingwood. Port Adelaide looked not too bad the other night as well. And you've got them this week. You did beat them by 60 points a few weeks ago. So me and the boys have summed up. You've probably got the slight edge on them, but you wouldn't be saying that going into game day because, like we just discussed, anyone on their day can be on or off because it's a matter of whose body's right because you have such short turnarounds. I know you've got a week off this week, but I'm going to be honest. Gary Abbott looked bloody good during the week, and I know he's come off a good break. <laughs> our mate Joel come off a, up a nice rest too. I know you've been playing your part forward, and you're starting to feel really good going into finals. So is that edge of that 60 points uh, just a little bit more positive for the old Cattery fans? Well, you certainly, you know, you, you, you look back at your, your previous game against the team, and look, certainly... You know, things have changed since we played them last. We played a really good game of footy and, and they'll look to, to play better than what they did. Um, they've finished, what is it, a game clear on the on the ladder or, or percentage clear on the ladder. So they thoroughly deserve the position that they're in and they've been the best side for the majority of the season. But we've played some great footy against them in previous years. So we go in really confident and um, it, it's odd Tra- training and playing in such heat obviously you know majority of the time the season's just about wrapped up and we're playing in Melbourne this time of the year it's I look out the window this morning it's uh it's warm it's it's sunny again it's gonna be 20 odd 25 degrees odd today um it's it's quite an extraordinary year and the only reason we're here to be honest is because of the Queensland government so they've done a bloody good job um and people get to enjoy um AFL footy so um yeah who's the Who's the biggest threat in the eight, uh, other than the Cattery? Out of the seven teams, other than yourselves, who is the team that you probably necessarily don't want to come up against to on grand final day or the weeks leading up to it? Because you need to beat uh, beat them to get there, I'm tipping. Richmond have been in the best form, I think, over the past month. Um, cl- quite clearly, the, the grand final is going to beat the Gabba, um, Brizzy's home ground. They've had some... Um, some great games. I think they're a, a lot more balanced than they were last year in terms of their team. That they had some outstanding um, players last year. Lockie Neal's played even better again. But I reckon there's been some real growth, sort of from in their midfield. Some of their younger players, um, Harris Andrews, looks like he's going to be back um, as their key defensive post. So he's he's critical to their success. I think. Um, so they're a really well well-rounded side uh, you mentioned the dogs you know when they get their game on their terms they're as good as any team in the competition the same can be said for for any team i mean that the key to winning is playing your game style and executing it for longer than the opposition and when you're playing and executing your game style scoring kicking winning scores you know and people have been critical this year around um the game uh, less scoring the, the shorter quarters are more so playing in Queensland where it does get dewy underhand and underfoot at night time. And we've had a stack, stack of night time games. So um, I think you know there's been some poor games, but there's been some great games of footy that we can all look back and enjoy. And no doubt fans have enjoyed throughout the year. So um, plenty to look forward through for uh, the AFL season itself, Redmond, which is coming to a wrap, you know, quite scarily quickly <laughs> it's come around real quick considering that time's gone quite slow if that makes sense but one message I need you to pass on you don't need a comment just here Pat and I'm going to get into a very intelligent underwater species in a second or two but Gary Ablett the wizard the commentators during the week said the guy. he kicks it 
to the space where he wants the player to mark it. So he doesn't kick it high. He doesn't kick it low. He kicks it at a, like a beautiful kick. It's not too hard. The player can mark it easily. Now just pass on a message, and I like this player a lot. I really do, and I think he's been very good for you guys. Tell Ryan Myers to try and kick it more than one foot off the ground to anyone on the ground. Patrick, please, just for me, if that's okay. I do don't, like be having, don't have a go at my man, Grant. <laughs> I call him Brian. You, you had say, nice work, Brian. But you had a go at him a few weeks ago, so it was my turn, even though you kicked 10 straight <laughs> at that time. All right, into the underwater species, Patrick. Your father gave me a call last week, and I'm going to let you do a fair bit of talking about this because you loved it. I, was, I did enjoy it. I had a couple of bits I didn't like about something, but the actual whole show itself I really enjoyed. My Octopus Teacher on Netflix, Patrick, is a cracker of a show if you are doing nothing in isolation in Melbourne, isn't it? It is, and, and it's something that I'd... Even if you don't enjoy necessarily fishing and you just you listen to us because you enjoy us talking crap, it is one of the most enjoyable, relaxing documentaries that I have seen. It's a Netflix original doco. Uh, it was released in September, and the premise of it um, is centred around... Uh, Craig Foster and Craig's a South African um, and he's sort of been um, struggling a bit in life was a little bit depressed um, and he's actually in terms of his own work he's a he's a bit of a, um, a producer and um, he's very good with a camera so he's really well versed in production it's what he does um, and in 2010 he began free diving um, in an underwater kelp forest uh, off the tip of South Africa. And you might think immediately, gee, South Africa free diving, this doesn't sound good. There'll be great white sharks everywhere. But where he does it, it it's rel- uh, relatively well protected. Um, and you would think, you know, you're not going to dive where there's consistently great white sharks. So it doesn't seem to be like, um, you know, they'd be cruising around where he sort of swims. Um, but he starts to, to film his experience um day by day with a a young curious octopus that sort of captures his attention he visits its den so all octopuses they sort of have a um a a spot where they sort of live and return to um and he starts to track its movement over weeks uh, over days over weeks which becomes months um he earns the animal's trust uh and he talks about the impact um of this octopus on his own life um, and and the relationship that they forge. And he starts to learn a bit about the octopus and how long they last for and live for, which is, you know, roughly uh, a year. And he literally documents the animal's whole life. And when he first runs into it, it's obviously quite young because he it leads well into the, the 300 plus days mark. Um, you know, he videos it being attacked by pajama sharks um, where it loses an arm and you're on the edge of your seat. And it is one of the most um, enjoyable documentaries, incredible uh, videography. Um, his son's involved with it, um, who's a student um, of marine life. And you can see him when they first start uh, documenting, he's quite young. And then by the end of it, he's, he's a bit older and um it's just it is so therapeutic to watch and and you get almost oh, i certainly got a little bit emotional by the end of it but it really is worth a, a watch it only runs for a bit over an hour hour and sort of 15 minutes um and i encourage anyone that enjoys sort of marine life um 
loves getting out the boat to do yourself a favor sit down with your your loved ones and watch my octopus teacher it, it really is um, quite impactful um, if you're interested in that sort of thing and um, something well worth watching Redmond. Extraordinary to watch and yeah just like you said how he actually builds a relationship with the octopus itself is yeah extraordinary. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about fishing now Pat around the coast. Uh, I'll be honest with you the past week has been miserable for myself. I could barely get out for a fish in Victoria which is our spring weather. I think last week we were talking about 25 degree days and this week we're talking 15 degrees rain and I talk me I mean wind on wind. It's just wind everywhere it's been crazy but on a positive note down the southwest coast of victoria now this is for the regional guys obviously i'm not being picky here but we can travel to port to portland i haven't been fortunate enough to go there yet but some people have and there are some beautiful barrel bluefin tuna still hanging big reports huge fish 100 up to 150 kilo nearly some beautiful big barrel bluefin tuna that are sitting there waiting. Hopefully the Metro guys, or tomorrow is another announcement. Hopefully there's a bit of positivity come out of that for you guys, which I really hope there is, fingers crossed. But there are some fishing reports going really well. The whiting in the bay have been okay. There's been a few snapper catches coming of those that are getting out there. The calamari are coming in big numbers. It's great to see how many are there already. And I know we spoke in depth last week on our show, Pat, regarding calamari and how to do it. So if you do want to listen to the show again, Head to our Real Adventures app or the iTunes podcast and make sure you listen to the show because we cover everything in detail from jigs to sunglasses to whatnot. So everything there. Beach fishing this time of the year, Redmond, as sort of the temperature starts to warm up, we're heading to spring. Um, still a great time if you're interested in getting up early or going late afternoon for gummy sharks off the beach or snapper if you can get in close to those reef systems. But it's a really good time to head off the beach if you're happy to chuck on a jacket early when it's uh, a little bit brisk in the mornings. Yeah, and throughout the day, you got the salmon on offer still too. I know my brother's been down there getting some bait for myself too. So there's, there's still some good salmon right along the whole surf coast. And like you said, the gummies, as the warmer nights come and we get those warmer nights where you can have a, take a beer down to the beach and you can cast your rods out with some fresh salmon on it and spend some time on an outgoing tide on, on the shore of the beach along the holes, along no specific spot, along the surf coast where you can find reef, like you said, Pat. And that there is a crucial spot to start fishing. And speaking of the surf coast, Pat, something a little bit, uh, well, I'm going to say, disappointing and sad that we've seen during the week, not that we have much control over as humans, but... I don't know if you've seen it. I think you might have. 460 pilot whales have been str- have stranded themselves on a beach on the shoreline of the Macquarie Harbour in Tasmania with around 380 that have died with parks and the wildlife Tasmania doing their best to save as many as they can to get them back into the water. Uh, quoted from Dr. David Hocking of the Monash, Monash University, like dolphins... Pilot whales use a type of underwater sonar to track food and navigate their environment. Yet their superpower of seeing with sound can sometimes fail these deep sea specialists when venturing near shore. This group mental uh, this group's mentality can hinder rescue efforts as animals may restrand if they can still hear the distress calls of their pod, causing them to move back towards the dangerous shore. And wildlife biologist Chris Carolyn said it was the definitely the biggest stranding in Tasmania and likely the largest stranding on record in Australia. So it's pretty sad to see, Pat. It is. It's, it's been incredible to see the the number of people that have been down there, though, pitching in, um, helping to try and save as many whales as they possibly can. I think at last, um, at last roll call had saved close to 90. So there's 
for the last few days people have been down there really working their butts off to try and help um, these whales and it's it's interesting to see it sort of makes sense now why you know you see that people save these whales and they swim back to the same spot you know why would that be that makes a huge amount of sense so um, tough to see especially for for all of us that love um, love all things marine life Redmond um, that wraps up the first segment we're running a bit under time but, uh, you know, it's typical of you Redmond just sort of shooting your mouth off up next is the social club you're listening to Real Adventures for BF Goodrich and don't forget to download the new Real Adventures app it has all our latest podcasts fishing news tips and recipes you're listening to Real Adventures for BF Goodrich celebrating 150 years Welcome back to Real Adventures for BF Goodridge, celebrating 150 years. Before we get into the social club, Redmond, there's a fair bit that's happening uh, around every state at the moment, particularly with those that have been under lockdown and haven't been using their boats when it comes to servicing. And you're going to fill us in a bit around the BIA and how they're quite worried um, about safety and boat owners not necessarily having taken the care with their their, their boats um, right throughout this lockdown period and then once everything opens up there's concern around servicing reliability particularly for those people that are going to head um, you know solid distances offshore and you spoke about off the top of the show how Portland's fishing really well at the moment yep. and that's not a place that you want to go and visit if your servicing record isn't up to scratch yeah you're spot on and I'm going to read a little bit off the bit of paper here but just up first I don't reckon People aren't that experienced uh, with the mechanic side of things. I know that I've got a reasonable understanding of boat engines uh, to an extent, not amazing. And I've got, I'm fortunate enough to have my brother and my best mate, Marine Mechanics, who can help me out if need be. But I'm going to say over 80% of people don't know how to maintain their engines. And the, 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 the simplicity of engines has changed as well. They're not simple anymore. This is not two strokes. You know, you don't go check the spark plugs and go, uh, <laughs> Yep, that's that's good. Is the fuel filler on the right way? Away you go. Like things have changed. You know, it's not just changing oil. I reckon it'd be far far less than twenty percent of people that actually understand how their engines work, particularly with the computer systems that run them now. Yeah, and you, and like I was saying before, I tipping people at home have spent hours in their boat running their engine, trying to keep it going. The worst thing not to do is not run your engine. A running engine is much better than an engine that has been sitting there for six months of COVID, say. So if you are at home and you're listening, maybe start running the engine each week, couple of times a week now to build, to get it ready for the season to come. People will be at home and they'll be polishing their boats thinking that their boat's ready, but polishing your boat, it might make you get one knot faster, but it's not going to help you go any faster if your engine's not working. But the BIA, <laughs> the BIA have put out a little bit of a statement, I guess. I'm just going to read bits and pieces. So the BIA are worried about the safety of boat owners flocking to the water once restrictions lift and not having their vessels serviced and maintained professionally because of the lockdown and the limited service work on offer which means families and individuals could be put at risk. The BIA because people haven't been able to go out and get their boats serviced. No, ever. so we can't. No, that's been the challenge. Five kilometre radius in Melbourne, in the metropolitan area, you cannot move them more than five kilometres, and you, it's not an essential service. And also, you got curfews in play and the likes. So the BIA are asking for service work to be allowed ASAP, 
as the work they have done on emergency and rescue service vessels showed servicing can be done inside a COVID safe framework and could be supported with contactless pickup and return. And I'm just going to comment quickly here. I can guarantee you in the next couple of weeks or months, whenever, sorry, I shouldn't say that. Whenever fishing is allowed back in Metro Melbourne, it is probably that and hunting and camping is going to be the most sought after recreational activity especially the fact that footy's finished there's no kids playing sport school hole there's half people are at school and the likes fishing is going to be it's going to be like driving to melbourne uh, to go to work at 7 30 a.m it is to go to the boat ramp every day i believe in at the ramps around that carom area especially now that we are approaching snapper season so it's going to be busy 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 but that isn't the reason to not get your boat serviced and think, oh, someone else can out there because there's going to be boats everywhere can just save me. Can't reinstate enough that get it serviced first, even if you have to wait a week before you actually, once everything opens back up, because it's just not worth it. No, and batteries are a massive one, Pat. And I know you and I have taken your boat back in the day out where you haven't used it for ages, and we've been caught out ourselves down having... No batteries. So, I've, John Boy, so I'm obviously in Queensland. Dad just had the, the Stabie serviced, and we've had the battery replaced itself. That's twice, twice in three years. Now, yeah, there's been a few sort of different sort of periods for us where we haven't used it, but, geez, it just reinforces, unless you're starting the thing at least once a month, it just, even though, like, we've got the isolator switches, everything set up, like, I couldn't believe it. You really, you really do need to, to keep an eye on it. Anyway, we need to head to the social club, Redmond. Um, if you've got a question for Aaron or, or I, make sure you shoot it into our Real Adventures Facebook, Instagram, or our Real Adventures app pages to join in the conversation. First question is from Bill Reed. Red, I'm getting some new gear for the upcoming fishing season. Come on, Bill, mate, the season never stops. <laughs> COVID permitting, can you please go over your best, best methods for tuna? So I'm assuming that means getting your gear ready for tuna. What is the gear that you use when you're heading down to Portland or you're going to spend a bit of cash on some reels? I'm going to talk about a little bit about the tuna out front of the Port Phillip Bay heads for the guys that are coming out of the Metro Melbourne because they might not be allowed to travel too far, Pat. So I reckon I'm going to nail that on the head. My best methods of, coming, uh, of fishing outside the Port Phillip Bay heads this the, the last season and hopefully you guys get on the water and those tuna show up in the flocks that they showed up with is that the right word flocks of tuna Pat just to, I know it's a school of fish but f- I'm, I'm talking bigger <laughs> <laughs> well, let's go with flocks we'll go with flocks <laughs> with how many you can yeah we'll go with flocks yep. <laughs> alright we'll work with that one herds herds masses yep. We'll go with that. <laughs> Literally, masses of tuna, and I'm talking <laughs> acres and acres of them between, I guess, Dangerous Joint down at Moggs, right down to the Cape Shank and further along. Fields of tuna. Fields of, literally, they were Field. footy field. That's actually wow, how wait. I was describing it. <laughs> but they were, um, how I like to fish for them outside Port, 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 Port Philippe Heads was very actively. So, find, not finding fish that you could just see them rippling the water, finding fish that had birds on them. And the reason I say that is, the birds are feeding off what the fish are feeding. So the birds are trying to feed at the same time the fish are trying to feed. Where those fish that were just stagnant, and you could see them just sunning themselves and mo- mo- like just mo- moving slowly through the water column to the top surface there, they weren't feeding much at all. Very hard to catch. So finding a school of fish with birds was my number one. Number two, 
just have everything. So when I say have a bit, not as much as Kingfish, but I had a white soft plastic, which was my go-to with a one Oz jig head. I had a bungee cast, which was dynamite and make sure you get yourself some of them. I got Pat onto them a few years ago and the amount of tuna he's caught on them at the front of his house, they are dynamite. They're a little tiny stick bait, 100 mil long and adjust they the brilliant. Yep. They're amazing. Adjust the hooks on them. Just change them to 3.0 um, lure hooks. Don't have your uh, stand those soft trebles on them because they will tend to bend and break. But upgrade them. That's That's got to be another rule there. Uh, the other one was you can run lures too, Pat. There's nothing shy of running lures and they did work great at their times, but it was more they worked fantastic when there was not, when, when it was rough weather the days leading up to the day you were going out or when there was no traffic on the water. So I found by staying away from those schools and actually casting to them, because they were timid and flighty most of the time, most of the season. Yes, we had a couple of days where they were stayed up but I'm going to go 90 plus percent of the days, you couldn't get close to them other than your casting distance. So heading down to the barrel tuner just quickly, make sure you take a range of colours and you know that I like your slimy mackerel colour, I like your lumo greens, I like your red bait and your squid colours. Just your four or five lures, start with them and whichever one's working more dominant on the days by either speaking to people or by finding out yourself, maybe pop an extra colour out on that lure. And Simon Rinaldi we had on uh, before lockdown proper, Pat, we had Simon on and he spoke about using the use of pilchards as well. So have pilchards ready on a uh, single rig lure too that you can throw out into a bait ball if they won't take a lure. Andrew Collins, what is your pick of baits to use for the spike for squid fishing, Aaron? Oh, the pick of the bait? Uh, good question. Um, I'm going to go with a, a, a small salmon. Uh, legal size, 21 centimetres is the is the legal size for Australian salmon. Not to be honest, now this is the, an odd thing to say about a species, Pat. And not often do you struggle to catch small a small species of fish. So what I mean by this is, it's harder to catch small salmon than it is big salmon. So those two to three kilos you can catch quite regularly, but to catch those smaller ones for spot, which is a good sign of the fish here, I would say, Pat. But uh, you can find them in, in, in certain small estuaries and also places like the mouth of the Queenscliff Cut, Barwon River. You can stock up on these small 21 to 28 centimetre salmon. King George Whiting is another good one. Their size limit, minimum size is 27 centimetres. And I'm going to say small the better on your spike as it's closer to the actual prongs itself when you do strike the squid to hook it up. So that I'm going to go those two, Tommy Ruffs and Salmon. And your King George Whiting is probably your your best bait going around for your uh, your big squid that's coming up real hot in the next couple of weeks. You've got the last question, Red, because I can't introduce it when I'm answering it myself. It is from Stodge. Danger, you mentioned flexible flu, uh, fuel bladders on your show recently. Do you have details for these, please? Yeah, I did. So we were talking about this a few weeks ago when we were talking about uh, the new boats that we've got coming. Um and adding that fuel range, one of the, my pet hates, and I've sort of experienced this a bit uh, when I fi- fished up in Groot Island, um, when we travel big distances up there, and you really can't, um, you can't escape it. But the back of Bomber's deck is filled with about eight twenty-five liter jerry cans. So, um, one of the things that you can add to your boat is a marine fuel bladder that's actually it's they're basically built out of the same material that you would get a um, rigged inflatable boat so um, 
they're very much puncture resistant. Don't try that with a knife because they will obviously puncture. But if you've got your um, your under deck storage, because you obviously want to keep your center of gravity low in the boat, you don't want fuel tanks sort of throwing that all over the place. They're they're a really good option, um, and you can find them. You know where my research has taken me. Most are coming out of the states but they do ship to australia under the current covid restrictions it's going to take a fair bit longer um, fuelsafe.com um, is a place that sort of i first started they were the, they're an american-based company um, and have a really good reputation over in the states i'm not sure what their their shipping regulations are like with australia um, but there are plenty of companies that do and they range from custom-made jobs right through to really big commercial size that they run out of like literally fuel tankers um, but you can get them literally down to sort of a 10 uh, litre mark and because they're all um, soft and collapsible they'll post easily it is now time for our dream boating destination and i had to mention this place pat because bomber has i know we're spoken about it a long time ago but bomber has been catching some marvelous fish down there from all sorts of billfish to uh, some of the tastiest fish in the water. And I'm going to let you talk about this place because you know it back to front. We're going to head to Groot Island, Pat, today for our dream boating destination. Take us through just quickly. You've only got a minute or so. Why is Groot Island such a good place? How do you get there? And the fishing as well, because I know that you did a lot of days on a boat (laughs) there a couple of years ago. Yeah, look, I first fell in love with Crude Island when I was watching Andrew Eddinghausen, and we've had the great man E.T. on our show before um, talk about um, Groot well over 10 years ago. And I always thought um, this is you know, well and truly prior to, um, to, to footy being started and to earning, um, you know, luckily, a really good wage. This was sort of when I was 12, 14. It was always a dream location, like how amazing would that be? And then I had the opportunity in 20... Uh, 2011 I think it was 2012 uh, to go up there and fish through a a mutual friend and one of my ex-Adelaide coaches Um, and upon arriving there it's about an hour and sort of 20 minutes flight out of Darwin it is one of the the most picturesque fishing destinations in all of Australia Um, and the fishing is just spectacular whether it's billfish sailfish um you get blue marlin up there. Um, sorry, black, black marlin, sorry. Um, barramundi, um, every reef species you can possibly imagine. Huge coral trout. Um, it does get bloody hot, so you've got to pick your times. I've typically traveled there uh, in October, um, October, November, and that's been a really good time to travel yeah, there. Well, that's because you've got um, no other choice. <laughs> yeah. Bundled out of finals, <laughs> um, but it, it, it's good because it it does start to heat up as soon as you hit December. You know the the temperatures um, really start to to climb. But the Groot Island Lodge there, which offer fishing packages um, from three days um, onwards, it's an incredible place to stay. Um, it's right on the water. Uh, the boats they've got there, all sort of twenty five foot. Um, uh, American built boats um, and they'll literally travel from Bill Fishing Grounds which are south of Groot Island and right up to Barramundi and I can't recommend the place enough Groot Island our dream boating destination this is Real Adventures for BF Goodrich get up to $150 cash back when you purchase four or more BF Goodrich passenger or SUV tyres get in before September the 30th on Real Adventures, it's time to get all aboard for Dometic Mobile Living Made Easy. 
Welcome back to the show, and it is now time for our Real Adventures Rewind. All aboard for Dometic. Take control of your outdoor adventures like never before with the Dometic CFX3. And today's All Aboard is a Real Adventures Rewind with Shane Mensforth, who joined us earlier in the year. Take a listen. Our special guest this morning is none other than Shane Mensforth from SA Angler Magazine. Good morning, Shane. Thanks for joining us on Real Adventures. Morning, Rads. How are we? Oh, not too bad. It was a uh... well, not as well as Shane. Given no. in SA at the moment, they can fish over there. We've been following your socials, your SA angler socials, and just getting up in the mornings and going for a bit of a fish, Shane. Getting dinner and then back home. Yeah, mate. I'm, I'm fortunate to live about thirty seconds from the water, so pack a rod, walk across the road, catch a few yellowfin whiting, come back, clean them up, and have for breakfast. Not a bad way to be. I reckon I've asked you this before, Shane, uh, and for those who do follow you on social media, you can see that you did catch some beautiful whiting during the week, but you said they were sand whiting, uh, or the yellowfin whiting, as you call them. Comparison to King George whiting eating-wise, uh, I've never eaten one before. Have you? Well, I, I, I reckon that, uh, to be honest, they're better than, than King George whiting. Um, yeah, in fact, they're my favourite fish to eat. There's no doubt about that. They're just wonderful fish. We get them. Pretty good size, up to 40-odd centimetres here too. And they're, they're big, they're full of meat, and they're really, really sweet. They freeze well. They're just the ultimate fish for the table, I think. Shane, anyone that's uh, purchased or has a subscription to SA Angler would understand that you've used poppers for them before as well. What do you like? How do you like chasing them when you do get up and uh, and catch a feed? Well, it depends on, on the time of year, mate. Like at the moment, the water's cooling off a bit, and they're not on the top so much. So I've just been using frozen bloodworms for the, you know, with a running rig on the bottom. You know, we're only fishing in, you know, sort of 40, 50 centimetres of water. Uh, but when the water warms up, for sure, they, they're up on top looking. And then we use, use lures, which is obviously a lot more fun. But just to adapt to the water temperature, and you, you'll always catch a feed here. Shane, I was up in uh, the south coast of New South Wales uh, earlier in the year, and we went down to, you know, it might be a little bit different to South Australia, but we, wa- we walked down to, uh, I think it was one of the Tartha Inlet down that way, and in the shallows there, you could just see the sand whiting in plague proportion. So they were literally all over the sand in shallow there. Silly question, but can you catch those fish? I know you're in a different location, but is that how you're targeting them as well, by seeing them in the shallow water and putting your baits in front of the schools? Or is it, I don't, like, it just seemed to me that it was like it was too, we weren't actually fishing for them. Uh, we could just see schools of them. So is it as easy as that as walking down and catching them when you can see them, or are you actually working hard for them? Or will, will those fish tend to not feed? Well, I reckon that generally, if, if we see them in big numbers, uh, we don't tend to do as well as if there, is there just some small pods around. I'm not sure why that is, but uh, yeah, we should, you know just just fish over the flats without really looking too much. Sometimes you'll see them, but when there's big mobs like that, we just don't seem to do so well. And I don't know why. I know what one thing would have worked, Paddy's a big cast net. I don't know if that's legal in New South Wales. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure it is. Now, Shane, the reason we were really keen to get you on this morning, other than uh, chewing the fat and obviously talking fishing. But a few years ago, uh, you ventured over to Alaska, and we've spoken about this before, but it's truly one of the great fishing locations around the world. And uh, we're going to get you to revisit uh, that story for us because once everything opens back up, it's one of the most picturesque places on earth and, and still is for obviously the Alaskan locals, but for those looking to venture and uh, you know chase Salmon overseas, it is just about as good as it gets. It is, but in fact, it's my favourite place on earth to go fishing. 
I first went there back in 2012, and I've been there three times since. The last time I was there was with uh, Paul and Christy Wrestling when they filmed for TV. And uh, sadly, I was supposed to be heading back there in July this year, but that's looking uh, pretty unlikely at this stage. But I, I, I just love the whole experience. First of all, getting there from uh, from Adelaide is a bit of a chore. Adelaide, Melbourne, Melbourne, LA, LA, uh, Seattle, Seattle, Anchorage, Anchorage, King Salmon, King Salmon to the light. So you're doing six flights. Uh, you're in the air for about 23 hours all up. But once you get there, mate, it's well and truly worth it. It's just a magnificent place. Even Anchorage itself is beautiful before you head out to the lodge. In terms of the the accommodation to stay over there, um, a true Alaska lodge is where you stayed last time, if I'm correct? Yeah, to uh, Alaska Trophy Adventures Lodge. Yeah, it's on the Alagmac River, which is a it's a fair flight from. Uh, oh, I the city got to go from Anchorage to a small settlement called King Salmon, and then it's a float plane from there. So. Yeah, it's it's remote. You don't see anyone else while you're there. Uh, but uh, one of the reasons it's so pristine is the remoteness. It's just a, just a magnificent place, mate. There's bears and there's moose and there's wolves and all sorts of stuff all over the place. And it's just a true wildlife experience. It's just wonderful. When you go over there, uh, clearly the best way to see it and fish it would be guided. I'm assuming that's how you've seen it because obviously local knowledge is one thing when you're fishing in a location, but when you're fishing in... Uh, a remote country where there are you know, grizzly bears and, and, and serious wildlife around you, it just adds another element to it. It does, mate. I, I wouldn't feel safe or secure fishing it by myself. Uh, logistically, it'd be a nightmare to try and do it. But, yeah, look, the guides they have at the lodge uh, are permanent guides. They know they know where, where to go. They know what to do, what not to do, when it's safe and when it's not safe. And as long as you uh, take notice of what they're saying, you know, you, you fish in safety and you, and you fish really well. So just make the most of the whole experience. You mentioned going over there with uh, Paul and Christy Worsling. Is it a place you could potentially take sort of young teenagers that are into fishing and family, or is it more one of those more adult-type fishing expeditions? No, it's very much a family uh, option if, if that's the way you want to go. The facilities are great. Um, the safety aspect is, is first class and uh, – yeah, like a couple of times I've been there, there have been uh, mum, dad and the kids um, from all over the world. We had some Italians and some Germans last time. Yeah, no, it's very much a family-orientated place if you want it to be, or just with the, with, the, with the mates. And However you'd like to play it, it's comfortable enough and it's safe enough. Now take us through it, Shane, the fishing side of it. How many species of fish can you catch and different species of salmon also? And um, you were obviously fly fishing most of the time as well? Yeah, you can spin fish or fly fish. I like fly fish because I, I love that. But there are five species of salmon. Uh, there are rainbow trout. There are lake trout. Uh, there are pike available. Uh, grayling. Um, what else are there? Yeah, yeah, that, that's that's pretty much it. But uh, the five species of salmon, of course, are the, are the, are the, are the big draw card. That's what I go there for. Uh, what are those? And, uh, sorry, sorry. No, you go. Sorry. Yeah, they're, they're, the smaller salmon are pinks. Then there are the um, sockeye, uh, there are silvers, there are uh, all the other the chums, and the big ones are the kings, and they, they grow to 60, 70 pounds, the kings. And they're, what's, they're the main draw card. What's 70 pound in size, as in centimetres? Like, how big is this fish? Is it nearly a metre long? Oh, it's well over a metre long, mate. <clears throat> the best I've caught was one we estimated at 42 pound, and that was 
uh, about a metre 20. So, you know, they're, they're, mm. they're big fish and they're deep and they're solid and they're just full of fight in the, in the fast running water. Going to test your knowledge here, Shane. Uh, salmon are clearly one that, that migrate. Um, are these the species that um, basically once they go up, spawn and die? So at, at one stage during the... Um, during the year, you're going to see a whole lot of dead salmon as they go up and spawn, and then that's their life cycle complete. That's correct, mate. All, all five of the species <clears throat> come back to the river they were born in to spawn and end their life cycle. And if you're there in July, as we normally go, late July, early August, there are a lot of dead fish, um, uh, and the bears obviously die out on those. But, yeah, they, they, they come back into the same river they were born in after being at sea for quite a while. And, uh, yeah, they spawn and they die, which is, sounds pretty tragic, but it all works well, and the, the population is very, very healthy and steady. Eating quality, Shane, of these fish? So you obviously target them for sport as well, but do you get to take one to eat? Is it? Is it? Are they well yeah, worth eating? Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, well, in fact, at the lodge, um, several of the meals that you have during your week-long stay are based on salmon. Yep. Um, and these they catch the, the ones that are fresh into the river, straight out of the sea, so they haven't been in the river and decide to change colour. They're nice and silver. And they're the ones that you eat. Yeah, we have them uh, in all sorts of different ways. They actually have a cookout one day out, out on, on the river, catch one and cook it, which is great. No, they're wonderful to eat. They're just really good. What about time of the year to, to go there and explore, Shane? Is there a preferred time of the year to to attack it? I open the lodge, I think, in, in May, and it goes through till, uh, I think, late September. We like to go near the end of July, because that's when all five species are in the river together. Yep. They don't all come in at once. You know, the, uh, the, um, the pinks come in first and then followed by other other species at different times. But there's a bit of overlap in July when all five species are in the river together. So it gives you the best chance of catching the Grand Slam, and that's where we like to go. <laughs> uh, Shane, wrapping up on the Alaskan adventure, closer to home, you've had your Bar Crusher Centre console for, I'm assuming, well over six months now. Have a bit of a report card on how it's gone. You've gone from the hard top with clearly um, great coverage in terms of all-weather protection to something a bit more open but more fishable. How have you found the Bar Crusher? Mate, I've never loved a boat so much as I have this one, and that's not just uh, you know, I try to give Bar Crusher a big plug. It's because this, this boat offers so much more fishability. Uh, I've used it for lure casting, uh, for, for bait fishing, for trolling. We've used it for everything in the six months I've had it, and it's just wonderful. You, you fish three. It's it's a three person boat, whereas probably the uh, the seven eighty monitoring four. There's a little bit less room in this one, but the accessibility to the front and the sides is just wonderful. Uh, as I said, I've never enjoyed fishing out of a boat as much as I have this one. Santa Consoles, Redmond, might be your next purchase. Hope you've got a warm stormy. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Shane, thank you so much for joining us on Real Adventures this morning, talking through uh, SA Angler Magazine, fishing from home and and, uh, and capturing a feed in the mornings uh, to venturing out to Alaska. Appreciate your time. No problem, boys. That was the Real Adventures Rewind, and now it's time for Red's Review. For Auto One, stocked with the biggest brands and best advice. And we've been speaking over the last few weeks, hopefully in the coming weeks, that Victorians, especially the Melbourne Metro guys, are going to be let out of lockdown, and they can get on the water and go fishing. And I can guarantee you they're going to be all eager to do so, all you guys listening. So, 
make sure we do it properly. We need to get our safety gear intact and ready to go. So I'm going to go through a list of safety gear and you can head back to the show and listen to it again in the boat this afternoon if you uh, need to go through it while I'm speaking about it or you can head to the transportsafety.vic.gov.au and they've got all the information that you need exactly for the vessel that you have. So a brief overview for power boats uh, that I'm going to cover now. Life jackets, you need to have one per person and they need to be a type one life jacket, your PFD one. You need to have an approved fire extinguisher and that comes down to the size of, the size of your fire extinguisher comes down to the size of your fuel tank and the amount of fuel that you're actually carrying on board your boat. You need to have a waterproof buoyant torch, anchor and chain or and or, or rope. Baler, if you do not have an electric or manual bilge pumping system, you need to have a bucket with a lanyard which can also double as your bailing system. You need to have a pair of oars with row locks or pair of paddles if your vessel is up to and including 4.8 metres. In flares, of flares, you can buy a packet of these, uh, which comes with both of these 90% of the time. You hand out orange smoke signals. You need to have two of them. You need to have your handheld reg distress flares and two of them. Uh, if your vessel is over 8 metres but shorter than 12, you need to have a life buoy. And won't go into the next one. That's over 12. We'll talk a bit smaller. Uh... If you're heading into the ocean or offshore, you need to have a compass, a marine radio, and also a VHS as well, which or, or a marine radio, which is going to get yourself out of trouble, or you can call your mate if you need to tow back or, or the, um, any safety or search rescue people. Uh, Red Star Parachute Distress Rocket Flare, which you need to have if you're offshore to more than two nautical miles, and the big one, a registered EPIRB, if you are also... Uh, heading more than two nautical miles offshore. So the last few that I mentioned were all for offshore, but the other ones were at all times. And there's a few other rules and regulations that you will need to check in yourself. And like I said, head to the website, transportsafety.vic.gov.au. And that there is just a brief overview of what you need on your vessel if you are heading out fishing after lockdown or any time into Victorian waters. That was Red's review for Auto One. If you really love cars... Auto One's the one for big brands and great advice. We'll see you after the break. You're listening to Real Adventures for BF Goodrich, celebrating 150 years. Welcome back to Real Adventures for BF Goodrich, celebrating 150 years. Redmond, your tip for the weekend. Keeping it pretty simple this week, Pat, and it's about changing sinkers. Now, do you know how many people I see cut rigs? And some some rigs you do need to cut at the times, but a lot of rigs that we use to catch fish all around Victoria and Australia needs a sinker. Now, using loops is a simple way to put your sinkers on, save you time in rigging up in itself, and also gives you the accessibility to, to adjust to the conditions that you're fishing for. For example, if I'm fishing the whiting down at Queenscliff, and I'm starting with a one and a half ounce sinker, the tide picks up, I don't need to cut my whole running rig and then have to half re-rig my whole rig to put another sinker on. It's literally using loops, whether it's off a swivel, swivel, off your main line or whatever it is, use your swivels, you put your swivel, you should have sinkers that have actual swivels in them or holes on the end of them and then you put your loop on and you can change consistently. Whether you're fishing Western Port for a snapper in the next couple of weeks or if you're out there lucky lucky enough to be out there now, which is Western Port is fishing quite good for a snapper already as it does, 
Western Port Rig runs off your Easy Rig slider and it has a simple loop at the end of it which you can adjust your sinkers for the conditions that you are fishing in. Same as when you're drifting offshore. What it, a lot of, even when you're deep dropping for fishing 500 metres of water pat, quite often those rigs will run loops at the bottom of it. And another positive thing about it is when you do, say, for example, fishing reef for a gummy shark, I'm running a four-ounce sinker on a 20 or 30-centimetre 10-pound line. Quite often, you always have that leader line lighter. So when you cast that rig out the back of the boat, when you hook that gummy shark, and this happens a lot of the time, your sinker will break. The sinker loop will break, and you're still attached to that gummy shark. So your 80-pound leader is now free, and your 10-pound leader, which the sinker was snagged in the rock itself, actually breaks off, and you know, then you've just got... Uh, an attachment with the fish. So that was Red's tip for the week. And now, Patrick, it is time for the Flying Gaff. Take it away. Yeah, the Flying Gaff this weekend, Redmond, we've seen this right along the eastern seaboard, and we're seeing a bit of uh, whale action in Western Australia at the moment. And I've seen on social media, there's been boats that have really gotten quite close to, to whales. Um, you know, they obviously want people on, on board to have a good look. Just a word of caution that you don't hum up to these whales turn your motor off if you want to get close and have a look be respectful of the the distance to them and if they want to come close to you let them but don't force the issue just seeing a few people on social media getting very very comfortable um when they're still very much an unpredictable animal and you do have to it is by law that you have to keep your distance from them massive fines if you get caught and yeah so and, and that's for a reason it's to protect both you and the whales so the gaff this week uh, anyone that is while watching while whilst out in the boat really be respectful of the animals themselves they're not that big and they're not going to hurt you anyway but uh <laughs> just so i was actually fishing <laughs> off back of point impossible one time pat and i was on anchor and i had four whales coming straight at me and i was on anchor and i'm freaking out and they will breach and jump and then they're moving closer and closer to me I'm like, and i'm going i'm gonna have to actually move here all of a sudden i'm like oh, they disappeared and they pop, They must have went under the boat because we had the sonar light up and they popped up on the other side of me and jumped probably 15, 20 metres on the other side of the boat. I cacked my ducks that day and needed to change my jocks. <laughs> they, they are just... They're a beautiful animal, aren't they? Just amazing. Yeah, they are. You've been listening... Take it away. You've been listening to Real Adventures. Thanks for joining us this morning for BF Goodridge celebrating 150 years. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semi finals, all thanks to McDonald's. Mackers, together and loving it. TNCs apply.